We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. In the hands of Waiters, three seconds left for three in the win. Yes! Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as I always am on Tuesdays, by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we have no choice but to start on somewhat of a somber note. I uh, shouldn't even say somewhat of a, definitely a somber note, as Jamal Murray uh, diagnosed officially this morning with a torn ACL. Uh, that occurred late in Monday night's game against the Warriors, uh, a play that I have completely avoided watching. That is like on my Mount Rushmore of things I hate watching is any sort of injury, any sort of gruesome video involving uh, a limb moving in a way that it's not supposed to move. So I I saw the play. I kind of like held my finger over the video so I couldn't exactly (laughs) see what the knee was doing. But, uh, you know, just kind of one of those plays where Murray is trying to get to the hole. I think there are about 45, 50 seconds left. Uh, in the game, Denver's down, they need a bucket, and he kind of goes flying in, and, and there's a couple guys around him, and from what I was able to see, again, I, I did not watch the full video, uh, looked like the, you know, that left knee just kind of lands awkwardly, and I mean, this is one where you could tell right away, uh, this was not just going to be a, a hyperextension or, you know, something that he's just going to kind of get up and shake it off. I mean, he was writhing around on the ground in pain, um, you know, all the players around either kind of initially gathered around to see if he was okay. And then you saw like Seth Curry kind of glance and, and walk away. Like, I don't even want to see this. Um, a horrible end of the season, obviously for Jamal Murray, who 
once again, kind of got off to a slow start as he has one to do virtually every year of his career, but had been playing some of the best basketball of his entire career over the last two months or so. And, you know, he'd missed a little bit of time to begin April, uh, had just come back uh, from a four game absence on Monday night. There's not a whole lot we can say. I mean, I, I don't need you to sit here and confirm that a torn ACL is bad. Uh, this this could obviously linger into next season. That's a whole separate concern. But I mean, from a pure basketball perspective, is it fair now to to cross off Denver as a potential title contender, at least for 2021? I think so. Yeah, I mean, him and like Murray and Jokic are so kind of like tied together into what makes the Nuggets really good. Obviously, Jokic is good on his own, but a lot of that is how he and Murray, you know, feed off of each other in that in that two man game that they can just do like, um, you know, for like like 75 possessions a game. Essentially, they they could do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's their second best player, and there's not many teams that could survive their second best best player being out for the season. And so, you know, that this is going to elevate Michael Porter, and this is going to elevate Will Barton, and I guess. You know, I mean, like guys like Monte Morris and Campazzo are going to, you know, play more point guard. But this is probably just going to end up having to be like a, you know, fill in by committee situation. Um, but I think, yeah, it's I don't really see the Nuggets. I It would be a it, I mean, it would be really, really shocking to see them in the NBA finals now. Right. And I, I feel like for a lot of people, Denver was kind of a fringe finals contender, even with Jamal Murray. You know, that I think a lot of people were hesitant to trust the Nuggets, uh, obviously, they made a nice run to the West Finals last year and, and fell, came up a little bit short. But, you know, without without Jamal Murray, it's just really hard for me to to see that team having you know any higher of a ceiling than it had last year. I mean, obviously, that, that ceiling, I think it's quite a bit lower. You could say that the addition of Aaron Gordon maybe offsets this in some way. But, you know, to me, is Aaron Gordon going to give this team significantly more than Jeremy Grant did during the playoffs last year? Probably not. I mean, Jeremy Grant played so well that I, I think if you can get that kind of effort from Aaron Gordon, maybe a little more versatility defensively, you'll be happy with it. But I mean, you take Jamal Murray out of the equation last year, and I, I think it's pretty much impossible to say that Denver even gets out of the first round, let alone makes the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And the, I mean, the numbers kind of show that, you know, with Jamal Murray off the court, they're essentially a net neutral team. Mm-hmm. Um which, I mean, makes sense given the rest of their roster, right? I mean, aside from Jokic, this isn't a roster that really stands out. And right. in the playoffs, especially not having that, I mean, he's beyond a, like a microwave scorer, right? He's like better than being classified as that. But not having that just dynamic guard who can like, you know, drain four threes a game. I mean, he was insane in the playoffs last year, right? And so just like not having that player available, that's, that's really tough. And uh, there's just... Like it's impossible to make up with, you know, even if Michael Porter plays really well, like maybe this would be Michael Porter's coming out party. He's just not the same type of player that Murray is. And um, yeah, this is, this is rough for them. Yeah. Rough to say the least. I mean, I, I, st- I don't know that it ultimately matters in the first round, depending on what that matchup would be. You know, I, I think Denver should for the most part, be able to hold water. Like I, I, I don't think this is like on the same level of losing LeBron and Anthony Davis, and all of a sudden they're just gonna, you know, flounder and and be lucky to make the play-in game. Like the, I think they'll still probably be in the mix, um, you know, in the in that four through six spot. Maybe they do fall down closer to the Lakers, closer to the Mavericks, uh, in that seven eight range. But you know, if if we're looking at 
you know, let's say Denver's the seven and, and Memphis is the eight in that play-in scenario. Like I, I would still pick Denver there, but in, in that matchup, like, you know, it, it, given that scenario, Phoenix is the two right now. If Denver were to finish as the seven, you know, I, I think Denver at full strength versus Phoenix at full strength to me is probably a toss up, maybe with the advantage going to Phoenix. They have been four and a half games better so far. They've, they've been the more consistent team defensively by a mile. Um, without Jamal Murray, I mean, all those like 50 50 ish matchups to me just tilt so far now in favor of the opponent, especially because we've seen three, four times now Jamal Murray for as inconsistent as he can be and frustrating as he can be during the regular season, he turns into like a top seven player in the league in the postseason. Yeah. And again, the Nuggets like need that type of guy, you know, Jokic, Jokic is, I mean, would probably be the MVP of the league if, if voting ended right now. So obviously he's someone who can do a lot. And I think, you know, if you, if you needed him to, he could probably score like 30 points a game in a playoff series. But that's not really, you know, he's not really the type of player to really do that um, or to like want to do that necessarily. I think, I mean, I think Phoenix would be better. Um, I still don't know how much I really trust like Denver's bench, especially now that it's being highlighted more. Um, I think that's kind of a problem for them because I always viewed them as like a really good team, you know, like five, six players deep. But now, you know, it's just there's going to be a lot more Will Barton. It's going to be a lot of Compazzo who's never played in an NBA playoff series before. He's obviously a rookie. And then it's like, after that, you're getting into, I mean, as far as guards go, like PJ Dozier and like, I mean, they only didn't, I don't even know who else they have. Besides I, I think like we're going to end Morris. up seeing a lot of Will Barton as your yeah, backup point guard, which is, isn't the worst solution, but it's not exactly a title contending solution. No, because he's, 13 points a game right now, yeah. you know, and he's not like a volume guy. He can get hot, but, um, yeah, not, not in the same way. Murray can get hot. No, no. Cause Murray, I mean, Murray was, you know, throwing up six threes a game. Um, and there's just that like seems, no one else on the runs. roster. What? That seems low. It, it does seem low. Um, it feels like he's shooting more, but there's just no one else on the team aside from Michael Porter, who's like a volume three point shooter. And, you know, Jokic can pass guys open, but not, I, I think they're just going to have trouble, you know, um, like shooting enough threes, making enough threes. I don't think teams will respect them from out there, really. And, um, you know, I think this allows teams to like hone in on Jokic specifically even more than they already would have. Right. Right. And I, I think that's probably the biggest issue is not having that, that secondary guy. And yeah, I mean, it's, like you said, you, you kind of hate to be harsh for lack of a better term, but like, look, when you lose a borderline all-star like that, that should kind of knock you out of title contention. You know, if, if you're play, if you're losing somebody that good, um, there's not a lot of teams that can lose a player of, of Murray's caliber and still be a legitimate title contender. I will say I was a little surprised looking at the updated title odds on the DK Sportsbook this morning. Denver is 22 to one, which that number in and of itself isn't that crazy. But when you compare it to the Phoenix Suns, who are number two in the West right now, are four and a half games better than Denver, don't have one of their best players gone for the year with a torn ACL. They're at 28 to one. Like, how does that add up? <laughs> that does not add up to me. Um, I, the only reasoning would be that Denver has the better like player in, in between those two teams. You know, they have the yes. MVP candidate, so um, people might be more tempted to bet on them. But at the same time, I would, you know, 
I would I would assume Phoenix to go farther just because I mean they have the better record right now, but they're they're deeper than Denver, you know, especially now. And um, I feel like I mean you mentioned you know if those two meet in a playoff series, which now seems like pretty possible. I feel like I would I would pick Phoenix with like pretty solid confidence. I mean I oh, think yeah, no question. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I would have maybe picked Phoenix if Murray was fully healthy and was averaging 30 a game over his last 10 leading up to the playoffs. You know, I mean, like, I I don't know, maybe maybe these odds aren't updated or something, or I'm like refreshing a a, a cached page or something. Right. I don't know, but that that seems just crazy to me that that uh, Denver didn't drop further or that Phoenix hasn't been pushed up a little more. I mean, for context, the Clippers are six to one, the Jazz are are plus 850, Miami's 28 to one. Uh, so like every, everything else seems normal. Like did, did something happen in the last few hours with the Suns? Like did Devin Booker disappear from the face of the earth? Like how, what, what's the explanation? I don't know. I don't know either. I mean, I understand why people have playoff has uh, people have hesitations about the Suns because their lack of playoff experience between Booker and Aiden, you know, they're, but just them, they should still be, I think higher than, or have shorter odds. I should say than than Denver at this point. So where do you stand right now, sticking with title odds, on the Nets or Lakers versus the field debate? Nets are plus 220, Lakers are plus 350. Uh, by far, the two favorites. Then you get to the Clippers at 6-1, to one, Milwaukee at, at plus 750, Jazz plus 850. Um, Nets and Lakers are the field. Uh, Nets and Lakers. Yeah, I think... Same here. Yeah, I just... I mean, for me, it's I like I lean so hard towards the nets at this point um they just like i mean not that it's difficult but they like dismantled the timberwolves today um with like only durant available essentially um and like they've just been doing this all year right where it's they just like you look at the team and they'll they'll have Harden available like they only have one of the three guys available most of the time or two of the guys and honestly like the rest of the team is not that good you know, when you kind of look, it's like Jeff Green, Joe Harris, like Joe Harris is good, but like it's just a lot of like Bruce Brown and Timothy Luau Cabarro still. And like, I think Landry Shamit might be like slowly becoming the most overrated player in the league. <laughs> um, I just like it's really hard for me to pick against them at all. As much as I like Utah and I think Utah could win the NBA title this year, I just to pick against L.A. or um Brooklyn is, is really tough. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen Brooklyn at full strength in forever. They're, they're just trading injuries night to night, and it just doesn't seem to matter. You know, they 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 played so well without Durant, you know, missing like 26 games or whatever it was. You know, Kyrie's been in and out of the lineup. Like, they still, they're like blowing teams out. Not great teams. Yeah. Like, they blew out the T-Wolves earlier today. Um, they were up 20 at halftime in a game where, you know, Durant is still somewhat limited. Kyrie wasn't there. Harden wasn't there. It just doesn't seem to matter. Whereas, you know, other teams like the Lakers, you know, obviously you're losing your two best players by a mile, um, but they just look like a completely different team when even one of those guys is out of the lineup. And that, I think, is what's impressed me the most about Brooklyn is you have three guys that are, are basically capable of of leading you to a win over any average to below average team in the league. And I don't think we've really seen that with the Lakers. Like maybe if AD's out, you, you can still beat an average to below average team. But if LeBron misses a game for the Lakers, they're pretty much losing that game unless you're playing the Cavs, the Magic, the Pistons, the Rockets, or the T-Wolves. Yeah, I just looked up, like, uh, the Nets, what their net rating is. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. 
Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When any of Kyrie, Harden, or Durant is on the court, and that's basically either one of them or some combination of them, and it's plus eight. Like, as, like one, it's just... You only need one of them on the court to be an elite team is, is, is kind of what this is proving or just any combination of them. So like, you know, I mean, like even, even the Lakers historically have not been there. They're no LeBron, but AD on the court minutes have not historically been very good. You know, they've kind of been like an average team when it's just AD out there. Um, and so, yeah, that's just not the case for, mm-hmm. for the Nets. Speaking of the Lakers, uh, I think it was on Saturday, Woj reported that Anthony Davis is probably about two weeks away, LeBron about three weeks away. We'll see. Uh, There continue to be, I feel like every now and then I hear someone say, like, what if AD just never comes back? I think most recently it was was Mark Spears who hinted at that uh, on an ESPN pod this week. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, Anthony Davis probably watching Kevin Durant come back a little too early from a very similar calf injury and immediately tear his Achilles in the, the 2018 finals um, or 2019, 2019 finals. Um, and I, t- I totally understand that. I, I don't think Anthony Davis is going to sit out the rest of the year, but if you're the Lakers, there's no reason whatsoever to rush him back. Looking at the Lakers upcoming schedule, they play, they play Charlotte tonight and they're catching the Hornets without four of their regular starters. No Rozier, uh, of course, no LaMelo, no Gordon Hayward, PJ Washington also sitting out that game. So a very, very winnable game. Uh, tonight against Charlotte. But after that, it's Boston, Utah, Utah, Dallas, Dallas, Orlando, Washington, Sacramento, Toronto. So, you know, those five upcoming games against Boston, Utah, Utah, Dallas, Dallas are obviously the gauntlet. And the Lakers have done just well enough to kind of keep themselves out of that play-in territory for now. They're three and a half up on Dallas, uh, which is currently the seventh seed. That could change very quickly. I mean, there's a good chance they lose both games to Utah, which is basically run over any inferior competition this year. And there's a pretty good chance you lose both to Dallas. If that's the case, I mean, they could very easily be tied or in sole possession of that seven seed by the end of next week. Yeah, I mean, I think you would expect the Lakers to go 500 across this stretch, you know, that you outlined. Um, and yeah, I mean, if da- especially since like Dallas, they play Dallas who is below them that Dallas is seven. So right. you know, if you lose two to Dallas, they could, they jump up Portland's exactly. healthy now. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, um, this is looking pretty bad for the Lakers. Um, 
It's, I think if you if you can just go like one and four against Boston, Utah, Utah, Dallas, Dallas, you like feel okay about that. <laughs> seriously, <laughs> I think so. seriously. Or, or maybe you hope that the Jazz like sit Donovan Mitchell for one of those games. I don't know. That's got to be the hope, you know, and then you just try to get, I mean, even against Sacramento, I mean, Sacramento kind of favored in that game. Um, so, and, you know, Toronto, as bad as they are, I mean, I feel like they aren't going to be like, they might be healthy by then, actually. Well, here's um, the thing. You want to, you want to get to those final four games, the Magic, the Wizards, the Kings, and the Raptors. And and from there on, the, the schedule is like 50-50 hard games versus easy games. But you want to get to that four-game stretch not feeling like you have to win all four, right? You know, you don't want to enter yeah. that on a six-game losing streak. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think this is really kind of, like, I've, I've heard, you know, I was listening to Zach Lowe's podcast, and he said that, you know, most places have the Lakers finishing around fifth. Mm-hmm. Seems a li- kind of optimistic, honestly. They're fifth right now, and I think expecting them to go 500 the rest of the year without uh ad and lebron or for however long ad and lebron are out is like kind of optimistic i think they are a below 500 team just kind of like in, in yeah general i mean I think that's, very, that's very optimistic about what those guys are going to look like when they come back yeah that's that's assuming that they hit the ground running and just start reeling off wins and yeah i mean they're probably at davis at least you would think would have a minutes limit for a couple games and he's not like you know davis has never really been a guy that's just super dominant individually you know it's like they're not if, if the Lakers with LeBron and Davis, you know, let's say they played three games since coming back from injury are playing at Phoenix or at Utah, like that's still a 50, 50 game at best. It's not like they're going to be magically favored by 10 in every game. Once those guys are back. Yeah. And if you look at the very end of the, the Lakers schedule, there are one, two, three, four back to backs. Mm-hmm. So like eight games, like I don't think Anthony Davis is playing in half those games. Yeah. Um, and obviously it's a lot of like, you know, uh, three games and four nights or three games and five nights scenarios at this, like for every team, you know, at this point it's, it's like that. And so like, even when LeBron and AD do come back, it's just like, how many, like you mentioned, how many minutes are they actually playing? How many games are they actually going to play here? Like, I think the Lakers are going to be throwing out this lineup that they've had for like, even when AD and LeBron are back, like a, a third of those games. Right. Uh, So they could they could easily end up in the seven or I, I maybe below um, and end up in the in the plan. It's going to be interesting to see how hard they push to avoid seven because they'll have a chance. Like, like like you said, they do. They finish out the year with three back to backs in their last seven games, if I'm doing the math right. So, you know, their last four games are, are a back to back against the Knicks and the Rockets and then a back to back against the Pacers and the Hornets. They'll be favored in all four of those games. You know, if if they're tied with the Mavericks with two games left, I it's hard to it's hard for me to imagine like the Lakers, you know, can win game 82 or 72 and avoid the play in. But it's the second night of a back to back. Like I can't imagine they would sit Davis for that game. That would be that would be tough. You, I think you really do want to avoid that play in. So I, right. I think I, if I think the play in is is back to back days, too. Right. So like you're you'd be avoiding a back to back, but then you'd just be setting yourself up for another back to back. Right. Yeah. Um, so the play in structure, by the way, I, I, I kind of need a refresher on this because it is different from from the bubble last year. The seven seed plays the eight seed. The winner of that game gets the number seven seed, whichever team wins. You know, it's just a one game. Whichever team wins that game gets the seven seed. The nine seed plays the 10 seed. The loser of that game is eliminated. So the loser of the seven versus eight game 
plays the winner of the nine versus 10 game. And the winner of that game is then given the number eight seed. So it's not, it's not a series or anything like that. Um, you know, you have an advantage being the seven or the eight, you have to lose twice to get eliminated. Um, but very doable, especially when you look at the Eastern conference where, I mean, there are legitimately 10 teams right now that could be involved uh, in this play-in scenario. The Cavaliers, who are 15 games under 500, 19 and 34, are currently three games back of the 10-spot Chicago Bulls. Um, I mean, there's to me, like, there's really very little separating the 12-seed Wizards from the 9-seed Pacers right now, or even the 8-seed Knicks from the 11-seed Raptors. Like, I don't, I don't think, like, in the West, if you're the Lakers, and you're you're playing, you know, let's say you're you're playing the Spurs or the Warriors or the Grizzlies in that play-in. Like you feel pretty good about your chances. It'd be kind of disastrous if you lost that game. In the East, like whatever four teams finish at the bottom, I don't think there's there's necessarily going to be like a clear favorite among that four. Like any of those four could grab those final two spots. Yeah, I think so. Like it's especially since some of the more established teams are playing so bad, right? Like the the play. <laughs> It's it's pretty realistic that the play-in scenario could end up being Raptors-Celtics. I am like, is that something like? Could you have imagined that at the beginning of the year? Right. Um, and I think, I mean, that that would be kind of hilarious to me. That's like a that's like an extreme desperation series. It's like, no, trust us, we're actually good. I mean, I don't <laughs> think the Raptors care as much anymore, but right. I'm sure if they were, I mean, if you end up in the play-in, you're going to try to win. I think and like play oh, in yeah. the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, we've never seen a team tank the play-in. That would be something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be new. Try to slide um, into the lottery, yeah. yeah. Um, no, for the Raptors, like, that would be a victory at this point, right? If you're in the play-in with how terrible this season has gone, the injuries, um, the, the the deadline madness, not trading Lowry. I mean, they're in 11th right now. Like, I, I feel like if you can just get to the play-in, you know, all the experience that they have, they'd probably feel pretty good about their chances. Whereas for Boston... I think it would be really disappointing and all the pressure would be on them to not get knocked out. Whereas Toronto, you're just kind of playing with house money. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Celtics would be like an absolute, like, like that's a, I can't even imagine like that. That'd be so wild if you were on the, on the Celtics and you had to like it. it yeah, you're right. It would be like a complete different mindset for both teams. Yeah. Um, and the Celtics would be just trying so hard not to get embarrassed. Yeah. Um, really of, of that group, I think the Celtics are the only team in that position. You know, if it's the Hornets, the Knicks, even the Pacers, the Bulls, the Wizards, the Cavs, like all those teams would just be thrilled to get in. And Boston is just like, man, we it would be so embarrassing to not get in. Yeah, I mean, we say that and the Heat are only a half game up on them. Right. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, if, if either of those teams end up in the play and it's it's crazy, um, you know, considering where they were last year. And you're right. I mean, it's like 10 teams. I think I think like a really fun, a really funny scenario would just be like the, you know, the the Hornets versus uh, Raptors in the play in. And just like LaMelo Ball comes back and he's like LaMelo Ball is the person who actually who puts the final nail in the coffin of like the Raptors run in the playoffs of like all people and of all franchises. It's LaMelo Ball. So now that we're we're almost exactly excuse me, 75% of the way through this season. And we can actually talk about the play-in in somewhat definitive terms. How, how do you like this? Do you, do you like having this as another element to the season? Because I, I think one of the maybe unintended consequences is what's happening to teams like the Lakers and the Raptors uh, and even the Heat to some degree, like teams that have these injuries, 
you know, whether, rather than kind of building yourself a nice cushion early on, I think the Lakers were what second or third in the West at the time that LeBron and AD went down. Um, you know, rather than having that cushion and, and kind of knowing that you can let those guys take their time and not really worry about missing the playoffs. Um, you know, now you, you have this, this separate pressure to not only make the playoffs, but stay above, uh, the number seven seed and, and avoid, you know, kind of this fluky way of maybe getting knocked out. But I mean, overall, do you, do you enjoy having this as a, as a true plot line this season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, um, I think once, like once these games actually happen, I think we are going to be, we're going to watch them and we're going to be like, oh, this is awesome. I think, I think it's one of these things that right now it's still kind of a, it really is still, it, it feels vague and it feels sort of like far away. And like, it's like, we all know it's, it's going to happen. Um, but I think when it comes down to it and we see, you know, two teams basically have to win, you know, like a one game series, um, uh, it's, I think it's going to be great. You know, I remember watching, was it Nuggets Wolves like two or three years ago battling for the eighth spot? Um, yeah. Like the final yeah, yeah, game yeah. of the regular season. Yes. Uh, and that was aw- like, that was incredible. Like I loved watching that. Um, and I think, I think that is, I think it's going to be very similar to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think it's almost more fun when it's two teams that feel like they should be there. You know, like it, yep. like that that truly felt like those were the teams that were right on the edge, and the winner of that one deserved to get the eight. The loser deserved to not make it. Where like it feels a little cheap into me when maybe one of the teams playing is clearly way better and is only in that scenario because of injuries. Um, like it, I, I kind of like it as more of like this wild card scenario where, you know, two teams that maybe aren't all that deserving just play for the one spot. Um, but you know, I mean, that, it's just kind of impossible to predict that and. I mean, if you look at other sports, that's how it works out sometimes, too. I mean, if, if uh, you know, if Aaron Rodgers misses eight games, all of a sudden the Packers become a wild card team and instead of a, you know, a 13 and three team or whatever it might be. I, I think I'm in favor of it in general. I think they maybe should have waited until the schedule was fully standardized because, you know, I, I think that they've, they've kind of already opened themselves up to a decent amount of scrutiny. We saw a lot of it after the Jamal Murray injury last night and this morning where, you know, essentially the take was, well, we just had to squeeze in 72 games. And, I, you know, I don't know if there's any sort of correlation between those games and how long into the bubble Denver played and Jamal Murray tearing his ACL, you know, six months later. But people are going to make that argument. And I, I think, you know, forcing the play in this season is, is maybe uh, the wrong move. And we saw Mark Cuban say that uh, earlier today, Luka Doncic. Uh, and obviously those guys are biased because they're the team that's currently in seventh and might, you know, stand to lose uh, their, their playoff spot this year based on that. But um, I, I think with all the other, you know, hecticness, I guess, around the schedule this year, uh, it could have been something that they said, all right, well, let's just wait till we get back to 82 games, get back on our normal schedule, then we'll institute this. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to hear Mark Cuban say that if he was the 10th seed. Be yeah, like, no, right. there should be no plan. You know, we just got to win more games like Woogie, you know, what I mean. To me, that that seemed like I'm just going to like whatever Lucas says, I'm just going to agree with. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, this is a, I mean, this is a tough year for it. Um, yeah, I mean, in, in hindsight, like I think the NBA knew that all of this was going to happen. Like, I think they were pretty confident that we would get to this point in the season. It would be mid-May and all these back to backs would happen. And, you know, partially as a result of all the postponements that were 
essentially inevitable, I feel like, in the first part of the season. And they just knew, and they were like, well, you know, whatever. Nobody really watches the regular season anyway. You know, nobody cares. We're just going to punt it. And by the time the playoffs come around, everyone's going to be vaccinated, and there's going to be fans in the stands, and nobody's really going to care that the regular season was this way. And like, yeah, there might be a couple guys that get hurt, but we can never definitively prove that Jamal Murray tore his ACL because, you know, he only had, you know, two and a half months off. And then he, you know, there was like eight back to backs. Like, yeah, I think what the league did not anticipate is the resistance to the vaccine. Right. And I I did not either, because it it seemed like for a while, all everybody was begging for was just a vaccine. Get us out of this. Get us out of this. Get the fans back in the stands. I don't think the league anticipated having to sell the vaccine. Uh, to players, to some players, and then also, more importantly, I think almost to fans, because if there was universal acceptance of the vaccine, I, I think we would have full arenas. It would it would be very much conceivable to have full arenas for the NBA playoffs. And I, based on what I've seen, I don't think that's going to happen. I know there's like some baseball stadiums in Texas, like the Rangers are are at full capacity right now, but for the most part, I mean, we're still looking at you know 50% or or in most cases dramatically fewer. Uh, in, in terms of total capacity. And I, I don't really see that changing in the next month when the playoffs start. Well, that's tough to say. So the, the playoffs begin on the 22nd of yep. May. And here in Wisconsin, at least, and there's, it's different for every state, but here in Wisconsin, what was it, like a week or two ago, everyone over 16 could get the vaccine. Like you can just go and yep. get one. Like a, a pretty much a walk-in almost. Um, right. Like I got mine... And, you know, I know a couple of people here in the office got theirs, like, you know, Peter Shanky has already gotten both of his. Um, So, like, I think in certain states, you know, maybe a month goes by. And if you maybe it just comes down to, like, if you have the card that says, hey, I'm back, I'm vaccinated, Mm -hmm. um, that you can go to the game. And I I I would love for that to be the case. I just. I think that's too easy to counterfeit. I think no team wants to be the one that let in an unvaccinated COVID positive fan and infected everybody, you know? Well, the thing is, well, they wouldn't infect everybody because theoretically, if the people had the vaccines, they wouldn't get infected. True. And I think, I think the, the science says right now that if you have the vaccine, you can't transmit it. Right. So it's, you know, this is something for the health experts. But what I'm saying is, we, I, I don't think we should be surprised if, you know, for kind of all the like the the lack of fans and stuff that we went through, if it's especially late in the playoffs, you know, maybe conference finals. If Milwaukee's in the conference finals and everybody in the state has been able to get a vaccine for two months, it right. becomes harder for the league and the people in charge of Pfizer Forum to be like, no, we can't. Yeah. We still have to do 20 percent capacity when the vast majority of people who would be coming to a game either have it have the have the vaccine or you know would be of have less of a risk of getting it exactly well i mean what it comes down to is the question of at what point is it no longer the state or the government or the team's responsibility to protect people from a vaccine that has been widely available for yes yeah you know so and i i don't know i mean i I think right now right now we're the, the government seems to mostly be siding with you know, the people that don't want the vaccine, you know, why, like, there's a reason Miller Park is at 25% capacity here in Milwaukee right now, despite the figures that you just cited. Like by now, everyone has at least been able to make an appointment. You know, I, 
I'm, I'm set to get mine this week. I, I waited a little bit because I'm extremely afraid of, of needles. So I was like kind of just waiting it out to see how it would go. I'm finally reluctantly going to do it. Most of my friends have been vaccinated. Like within, like you said, by the time the playoffs start, everyone will have had a legitimate chance to get the vaccine. So at, at what point do you say, look, it's been available. If you want it, you can get it. It's not up to us. You know, like you can come to the game, but it's not our responsibility if you get COVID at our arena. Right. Yeah, because if I like personally, if I've been vaccinated, I'll, I mean, I'm getting my second shot later this month and the Bucks are in the playoffs. I'm going to like want to go theoretically. Right. And I'm going to feel like <laughs> I'm going to feel ripped off if they're like, no, you can't go because, uh, you know, like X amount of people just like won't get the vaccine. Um, so it's it's tough. But like, I think I think the NBA kind of knew that and they were like fine with again, they were fine with. You know, like the schedule kind of being a mess as long as by the time the playoffs came around, things were close to normal. No, exactly. All right. Last thing I want to finish out on, Alex, we talked about the Raptors being very much in the play in. Uh, I, I think they're going to they're going to gun for it. I mean, we we did just hear today that Fred Van Vliet, uh, it sounds like it's not particularly close to returning. That's obviously a major blow. I, I do want to posit the question, should the Raptors just pull the plug? And maybe it's too late. Maybe they needed to trade Kyle Lowry at the deadline to do this. But, you know, even if they make the playoff, they're probably losing in round one, almost certainly. They're Right now, they're only two games in the win column out of the fifth worst record in the league. So, you know, you have Minnesota, Houston, Detroit, Orlando. Those are pretty solidly the bottom four, especially Houston and Minnesota. Both are 14 and 40 yeah. going into Tuesday night. You have Detroit at 16 wins, Orlando at 17 wins, Cleveland at 19 wins, Washington and OKC at 20 and then you have Toronto at 21. I, I mean, if, if they really wanted, they could, I, I think, fairly easily get to fifth or sixth in the lottery odds. And then at that point, you're kind of taking your chances that hopefully you jump up. Yeah. And if, I mean, they only need to get into the seventh worst record to increase their chances of a top four pick by 10%. So, because right now, sitting in eighth, they have a 26% chance to get a top four pick. If they move up to seventh, this may actually be tied for six. But basically, you know, they move one slot up, they're up to 34%. Above that's 42, above that's 48, and then the top three are flat at 52%. So, like, they don't really have to do that much, quote-unquote, work to give themselves a major advantage of getting, like, a top four pick or a top five pick or however you want to put it, like, to increase their odds significantly. Um and like there is something to be said about getting the playoffs one last time with Kyle Lowry and having him like his his actual send off being in a play a playoff scenario or a play in scenario, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can see both arguments for it, but I think it would be ultimately advantageous for them to pull the plug, because if they get in the playoffs, I don't really expect them to. I mean, I do not expect them to get to the conference finals. And if they did, I would expect them to get annihilated. Yeah, I just I just don't know what the upside is. And I, I think being able if you get the sixth or seventh pick, you know, chances are you're not landing a franchise changer at that spot. But if you jump up to the third or fourth pick in this draft, I mean, there's a chance that you can really reload. You you know, you probably part ways with Lowry this offseason or maybe you sign him to another short term deal and you get another franchise piece to pair with, um, you know, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi, uh, Gary Trent has looked really good. You know, Malachi Flynn looks really promising. Like this team isn't necessarily going to just have to shift into a rebuild, um, you know, once once Kyle Lowry moves on. I, I think they got their title. That buys them a little bit of a window. 
But at the same time, I think they're in a position where they can reload instead of have to actually rebuild. Yeah, they're they are in more of a they can't. I don't think they can full tank because Van Vliet and Siakam are both 26, or at least this is their age 26 season. Uh, Siakam's actually 27 now, which is hard to believe, actually. Um, so yeah, I mean they can't. A five-year plan for them to like rebuild is seems kind of tough when you have guys who are 26 who have already been NBA champions. Um, that seems that seems like tough to sell. So I think, I mean, they'll have plenty of cap room once Lowry's off, right? I mean, they got rid of you know Gasol and, and Ibaka. Um, they might be able to make some moves. Yeah, they're they're not in a bad spot at all. And again, and you know, getting that title in 19 buys you such a nice window, especially for a franchise that had never had one and has only been around for like 25 years. Um, I, I think they built up enough goodwill that you could kind of do whatever you want. But it's, I mean, it's it's a nice unique situation to be in where you win a title and you don't have to gut your roster and go all in for that one title. Obviously, you lose the the key player in that run in Kawhi, but you know they didn't have to make like a massive trade that means you're going all in for one year and then you're willing to to rebuild for the next five so it's going to be interesting i mean if, if van vliet misses 10 more games and, and lowry you know tweaks his knee or ankle again maybe they just kind of automatically fall back into that territory yeah that'd be that'd be pretty possible they already they already have too many like malachi flynn deandre bembry minutes even when those guys are healthy yeah no exactly all right man we got to wrap it up uh Kind of a small slate coming to us on Tuesday night. Uh, only seven games today, which by second half of the 2021 NBA season standards is extremely low. We got 12 games uh, on Wednesday. It's been it's been a pretty hectic for us here at, at RotoWire in terms of tracking news and lineups when the entire Oklahoma City Thunder roster is questionable on a game to game basis. I think the Lakers, what do we say, had seven guys questionable coming into tonight's game. Um, yeah, the, the, I think the, the condensed season is starting to add up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.